Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. <clears throat> we're going to be talking about faith in this message. And the faith that we're going to be talking about is not saving faith, but faith, the day-by-day faith in trusting uh, the Lord. Um, the believer who has this kind of faith has an assurance of the realities of God's promise, promises, in His Word, and the objective reality of the hope we have in the real existence of those promises. Those premises are true, and we shall have them as we continue by faith in what God has said. I'd like to read a few verses here from Hebrews 11. First of all, the first six verses, first three verses, and then verse 6. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. And then verses 24 through 28. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Someone has said this about Moses. Many a person would call Moses a fool, born with the shadow of death over his head. He was miraculously spared to live. Yet when the sun broke through and he was about to reach the pinnacle of success, he turned his back upon it and voluntarily chose to go out into the stormy darkness. What do you think of what Moses did? Many people would say that what he did was unwise, absurd, and foolish. Well, did Moses make a big mistake in doing that? In the verses that I just read, verses 24 through 28, we have five choices that Moses made. And there are five choices he did by faith. Choice number one, verse 24, he chose God's covenant. Another way to put it is he chose God himself, Jehovah, the God of the covenant. You know the story of Moses. as a baby placed in the bulrushes to keep him from the edict of Pharaoh that all baby boys should be killed. Rescued by Pharaoh's daughter, of all people. 
adopted into Pharaoh's family, growing up in the riches and luxury of the king of Egypt, going on campaigns with the mighty Egyptian army, viewing the great monuments of the Egyptian gods. Acts 7.22 tells us that he was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was mighty in word and deed. And tradition tells us that he actually was in line to be on the throne of Egypt once Pharaoh died. He was next in line, quite possibly. But one day, it says in verse 24, when he was grown up, when he had matured, Acts 7.23 tells us when he was about 40 years of age. All that quickly changed and disappeared for Moses. Because when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. The word refused, the Hebrew word, has to do with a consideration, a thoughtful thinking about all of this. It was not a quick decision. He molded over in his mind. I mean, imagine there were many sleepless nights when Moses got up out of his bed and wandered back and forth and said, should I or shouldn't I? Should I forsake all this wonderful life that I've been enjoying here in Egypt? Should I actually refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter? Do I dare do that? Seemingly, this would have been the height of ingratitude against his foster mother, Pharaoh's daughter. We can imagine a reaction. Moses, I spared your life. I gave you your name. I arranged for your education and training. I provided for all the material riches you would enjoy. Now you're going to turn your back on that? Oh, well, that's not very nice to me. And in addition, from more spiritual approach to it, wouldn't this have been flying in the face of providence, of divine providence? Hadn't God worked it out to place him in that position? Would this not be a wonderful place for him to serve the Lord? But by faith, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Why such a choice? Number one, what are the first two words of that verse? By faith. By faith in God's covenant. That God had covenant with the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he claimed the promises that God made to them. I think another reason why he did it is found in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Let's give credit to Amram and Jochebed, his father and mother. They had raised Moses to appreciate the covenant that God had made. You shall, I shall be your God, you shall be my people. They had instilled that into Moses. He couldn't forget that. And if I can say parenthetically, you parents whose children have maybe seemingly wandered away from the faith, if you have been faithful to instill that into them, you can always pray and always have the hope that God's Holy Spirit will raise that again in their hearts and lives and they will remember God's covenant promise to you and to them that whoever believes in Jesus Christ shall be saved and shall bring them back to them. I had a cousin that I grew up with about my age. 
and he forsook the faith. And he, he, he attended the same church, went to the same Christian high school, did all kinds of things together, but he never was a converted man. He recently passed away, and his wife was telling me about this. And I said, would you tell him, you pass on to him, tell him, remember the things you were taught in our church. Remember what you learned in Sunday school. Remember what your parents taught you. I, my hope and prayer is that the Spirit worked in his heart before he died, fairly recently, to remember that. Moses knew he was a child of the covenant. And each true child knows that. Paul tells us in Romans 8, 16 and 17, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs of God, heirs and fellow heirs with Christ. So that's choice number one. Moses made the decision, I'm not going to be identified with Pharaoh or his daughter anymore or Egypt I'm going to remember, I'm going to identify with God himself and his covenant that he made with my parents and with me. Choice number two, he identified with God's people. Now, this is very close to what we just said, but a little different. Verse 30, excuse me, verse 25, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. The specific event that occurred that triggered this is found in Exodus chapter 2, but I'm going to read from Stephen what Stephen had to say in Acts chapter 7. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged himself by striking down the Egyptian. He, as Moses, supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, they appeared to him and they, they said, uh, he said, what, what, why are you having this conflict among yourself? And they turned upon him and said, who made you our ruler? How come you killed that Egyptian? We ran into some trouble with that, but that was the incident that caused him to make the choice, nevertheless, to be identified with the people of God, even though they didn't at first understand what he had done and why he did it. He preferred to have fellowship with the despised and suffering Israelites, and what a despised and suffering group they were. For over 400 years, they had endured the hardships and cruelties of their Egyptian taskmasters. But Moses looked at them, and he knew they were more than simply these Israelites. They were his Israelites. They were his people. He belonged with them, not with the Egyptians. But they were suffering reproach. As we shall see momentarily, they were suffering indignities. Nevertheless, Moses said, I want to be identified with them. Rather than, and this is important, rather than, I lost my passage here, here we go, to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. The Bible considers the pleasures that we call pleasures Fleeting, 
transient, temporary, for a season. Many, many years ago, I was at a junior high conference at Forest Home, a conference, Christian conference ground, Southern California. And um, the speaker, if I remember his first name was Ken, I can't remember his last name, but he was dealing with this passage, and he came to that phrase in the King James Version, for a season, and he said to his, the kids who were listening to him, he said, uh, how long uh, were these pleasures? And they said, for a season, right. How long? For a season. How long? For a season. How long? For a season. <laughs> they got the point. They're not going to last forever. And Moses understood that. And so rather than running back to the royal palace, he ran off into the desert. How did he do that? What were our first two words up in verse 24 that carry over into verse 25? By faith. By trust in the Lord. Trust in the, His word. Trust in His promises. And of course, because of the divine grace that the Lord had worked into his heart. In this choice especially, Moses was a type of of Christ, who although he was rich became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. That he who humbled himself became as a servant, as a slave, identified himself with sinful humanity and came as close as he could to be in sin, but was not a sinner himself. He identified himself with the people of God. Choice number one, God's covenant. Choice number two, God's people. Choice number three, God's reward. Verse 26. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. This is the first time in chapter 11 that Christ is mentioned. Christ, the Christ, the Messiah, the coming deliverer from the Old Testament perspective, the coming redeemer. He would be the mediator, the go-between and the covenant between sinful man and the holy God. And the Israelite in whom God worked, his work of grace, would understand that the only way he could approach God truly was through this faith in this coming Christ who one day would come. And that Christ one day would be one who would suffer affliction, misery, disgrace. The reproach that is mentioned there. The Jews in Jesus' day in particular had difficulty accepting Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah. Because what they heard say, being said about the Messiah was he would be a suffering Messiah, a suffering Christ. That didn't make sense to the Jewish mind. Their Messiah would be the strong Messiah, the one who would deliver them from the enemy, Rome in particular. But the Jesus they saw, well, they harassed him, they mocked him, he faced countless difficulties. He was the target of endless murmurings. 
criticism from his own family members, unappreciated. Moses went through all that too and typified Christ. Look at Hebrews 13, verses 12 and 13. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. You see the connection with Moses. He bared the reproach in his day. And now the writer of Hebrews is saying to the believers in the first century, we also need to bear that reproach. And that's why Paul said he desired to have the fellowship of his sufferings. Notice the contrast in verse 26. You have the reproach of Christ, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. And what else is added here? For he was looking for the reward. Looking for the reward. Again, the word has the connotation of weighing things very carefully. And Moses was looking from the things of time to the things of eternity. And he went back to the things of time, then to the things of eternity. He thought of what was happening in his life that day. And he began to think to the days and time ahead. And he finally determined that God's promises were far greater than the treasures of Egypt, what lay ahead. Those everlasting spiritual riches God promised to his people. He rejected the temporary benefits of life for that. By the way, this is one of the passages in the New Testament that proves that the Old Testament saints had a much uh, clearer understanding of the future state of the redeemed than maybe we give them credit for. We think back in the Old Testament, they hardly understood anything about heaven. No, they, they had quite a bit they knew about heaven. There are several passages here in chapter 11, I won't read them, but have to do with faith in the city to come. Abraham, look for it. The saints, the patriarchs, look for that, that city whose builder and maker is God. That city without foundations, all having to do with heaven. That was the reward that would be theirs, received by great God's grace. And Moses thought about that, and he said, yeah, that's what I want. That's more important than all the wealth of Egypt. And he chose that. He chose God's covenant. He chose God's people. He chose God's reward. Number four, he chose to have faith in God's power. Verse 27. By faith, there's the phrase again. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses left Egypt twice. First, after he killed the Egyptian, fled out into the desert. He wound back up, coming back into Egypt again, a little differently, confronting Pharaoh and leaving Egypt, not as a fugitive fleeing, but as a commander of the people 
leading them out of Egypt toward the promised land. He left Egypt. Hebrew word means forsaking not only a physical, geographical sense, but also with his heart. We would say he burned his bridges behind him. Heart, soul, mind, will, I've had it with Egypt. I'm out of here. But to do that, first of all, he had to approach Pharaoh. But he wasn't afraid of whatever anger Pharaoh might bring against him. Because he knew he trusted by faith in a supernatural Lord who would give him the strength he needed to stand up to Pharaoh. Now, that was a rather scary thing to do in the first place, to go before the mighty king of Egypt. And to go and say, I have instructions from the Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. He says, let my people go. And you can imagine how Pharaoh responded to that. Who did you say, Moses? Your God? Who's he? I don't know him. Look at the gods we have here in Egypt. I'm reminded of uh, the Russian astronauts, one of the first Russian astronauts who went up into space. And they came back. And they reported, we didn't see God up there. No God up there. So Pharaoh, of course, didn't listen to what Moses said. Moses had to go back again. And he had to go back knowing that God had hardened his heart. Moses might have said to the Lord, Lord, what, what's the sense of my going back there? If you harden his heart, he's not going to believe me anyway. That's right, Moses. If that's your instruction, go do it. And Moses, by faith, obeyed and went before Pharaoh. And then time and time again, he had to keep coming back to Pharaoh as one plague after another, after another, after another came. Wondering what the enraged Pharaoh would do to him, possibly, what he might do to the Israelites. But he was fearless. Because he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Only time this word is used in the New Testament, the word endured, not he grudgingly put up with it, but he had the strength to bear the evils and dangers and to be a hold a steady courage that didn't falter because he understood him who was invisible. I preached a sermon on this not too long ago talking about the invisible realities, the area of the angels. And of course, God himself was the great invisible reality. And Moses had that faith. What he understood as God revealed himself that God was very real even though he could not physically be seen. And so he had on his mind and heart the surpassing excellency of the Lord's character, those eternal, invisible, infinite realities that God himself has in himself. And his ability to help those who trust in him. By faith, he chose God's covenant. He chose God's people. He chose God's reward. He chose by faith to trust in God's power. And fifthly and finally, he trusted in God's salvation. 
put it another way, God's plan of salvation. Now, chronologically, it seems like verse 28 should appear before verse 27. Did, was not the first Passover observed before the people went out of Egypt? Why does the writer of Hebrews put verse 27 before verse 28? Well, verse 27 applies to the whole conduct of Moses, his forsaking of, of the Egyptians, a general expression of renouncing all that they had and exhibiting his courage to do so. But verse 28 gives an appropriate climax to all of that. Because without verse 28, the other things would not have happened. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. That salvation, that deliverance that the Israelites observed and enjoyed as they left Egypt was because there had been the shedding of innocent blood. How futile that seemed to be. I'm wondering how many Israelites, when they got the word that they were to sprinkle the blood over their doorposts of their house, how many didn't do it? How many thought, that is absolutely ridiculous. Why should we do that? What good is sprinkled blood going to do? But of course, we know that when that happened, as the Lord said, when I see the blood, I will pass over those houses and not bring judgment upon the firstborn in those houses. Moses knew that the destroyer who kept his judgment promises would touch the firstborn where there was no blood. But he also held on to that wonderful promise that God said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over it. Judgment will not come. So you see, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, through the blood of Jesus Christ alone, was known by Moses and the saints of the Old Dispensation. So there they are, the five choices of Moses that he made. I mentioned earlier that many would think that what Moses did was very unwise, very absurd, very foolish. How were they really? How did Moses make out? Yes, we know he didn't get in to see the promised land. Well, he saw the promised land, but he didn't get into it. But think of how the Lord used this man. How Moses is a towering figure in the Old Testament. I think he did rather well. As we apply this to our own hearts this morning. First of all, God's covenant. Each true child of God knows that he or she has been claimed by the Lord. You are mine. I bought you with a price of the blood of my son. Not only am I your Savior, I am your Lord. I will be your God. You are my people. So I would ask you if you have made that decision. 
Are you identified by faith with God's people? Well, the very fact you're here is a good outward indication of that. But of course, many people come to church and go out of church, and their hearts are not changed. The true believer identifies, however, with the visible church and is actively involved in it. They're more concerned. That's a top priority in their lives. Yes, they enjoy the benefits of life, the riches of Egypt, as it were. But in their hearts, they identify with the people of God. They want to be with fellow believers. Now, not every fellow believer, you may not get along with them well. You may not like their personality. You may not like some of the things they do. But at heart, you know you belong with God's people. Each believer learns to use material things with the perspective of eternity. Your reward is not what you're going to get in this life, but in the life to come, what we call heaven, especially the new heavens and the new earth. If we have to suffer for it, we have to be ridiculed for it, so be it. We keep our trust in the Lord. If you're a true believer, you look beyond the limited world of senses and are aware of the unlimited world, the world of invisible realities. Paul speaks about this over in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, at the end of that chapter. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And then, of course, each believer should have faith in God's redemption, God's plan of salvation, what God has done. Each Each believer should look to the blood of Christ to cleanse his heart or her heart of sin. To Christ, our Passover lamb, the true believer with Moses, Test the unseen things of the invisible God. Translates them into the visible world of experience and lives by choices of faith day by day by day. Trusting in the Lord. Is your trust in Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord? Where do you put your trust? I hope it's in God Himself. So wonderfully exemplified by Moses in the stand that he took in his day to trust in the Lord. Join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, the promises in it, and for the work of the Spirit in our hearts that enables us to believe them, accept them, and to act upon them. O Lord, make us people of faith people of trust and confidence in you, especially when we come across those dark moments of life, how much we need you then. We commit ourselves to you. Through Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen.